Hi, and welcome to Beta's monthly podcast series, How We Listen Live in Conversation. My name is Mark Brown, and I'm the founder of Vita.com, the platform enabling sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way, built for everyone working with music today. Vita's goal is to provide artists and their teams with the tools and the knowledge to help move their careers forward. We believe anyone interested in working in and around the music ecosystem should have access to as many insights into the business of music as possible. The best approach is to try and do as much as you can on your own before you hire anyone or start building your team. How We Listen Live in Conversation is presented in two parts. I present the first part and offer up some of my own experiences in the music industry. Then the second part is an in-depth conversation with someone deep within the music ecosystem. We talk about how they got to where they are and the insights they picked up along the way. This episode features our last How We Listen Live in Conversation of 2022. We decided to do something a little different. Rather than just have one guest, we invited a panel of three people to discuss music discovery and how to best approach a career coming into 2023. Each of our three guests comes from a different area within the music ecosystem. Mira Silver from Ford Management, Nikisha Bailey, the GM of Navac Collective Record Label, and Phil Lautsis is the VP of Community at AWOL. Here's our conversation. All right, five past. Why don't we start? My name is Mark Brown. I'm the founder and CEO of Beta. And uh, we do monthly events called How We Listen Live. And normally what we do is it's uh, me, I do a presentation. Then I have a guest on who talks about something that we think is super interesting. And we talk for about an hour. But being the uh, holiday season, we thought it would be interesting to do a more discussion about something that I end up ultimately talking about a lot, which is music discovery. I think what we'll do, well, let's introduce everybody first, then we'll get, I'll let each of them talk about what they do so everybody understands, and then we'll get into it. So let's see, do I have everyone? Mira, Nikisha, and Phil. So who would like to introduce themselves first? Maybe Mira, I see you first in the corner. So why don't you say hello to everyone? Tell us where you are and what you do. Um, my name is Mira. I head the Fort Agency, and I also head another business called Invisible World. We are a female-driven, brown-owned business. Um, we primarily focus on multidisciplinary artists. We work in both the live space and management. I also sit on the board of MMF Canada, um, in addition to other work, but yeah. Perfect. And wait, and wait, did you see where you are? You're in Montreal, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm actually in Chicago right now. Oh, okay. You, you split your time between Canada and the U.S., right? I do, yeah. So I, I'm from Atlanta originally, and then I live between Chicago and Montreal, and then depending on the day of the year, I'm, I'm a little bit everywhere. Okay, and to Mira's right, I see Phil. So Phil, why don't you say hi? Tell us where you are, what booth you're in. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm in a booth. I'm in the, uh, I'm in the head office in London at the moment. So I work for a company called AWOL. I'm the VP of the community support team here, uh, where we're focused on supporting lots of indie artists and labels um, 
who you know disputing their music with us and we were sort of helping them to develop an audience and and sort of uh, yeah crack on with their career so i've been working at able for a long time and for anyone who knows the company there's been a lot of changes in the 10 years that i've worked at able um, but yeah my heart very much lies with the indie artists and, and helping them grow an early audience in developing their career so that's what i do perfect thanks nikisha Hi everyone, I'm Nikisha Bailey. I'm the GM for Nabok Collective, which is a management company and a record label that focuses on artists from emerging markets, uh, as well as non-binary and women artists. We also have a Web3 sector to us in which we uh, focus on artists learning how to leverage themselves in the Web3 space. I also sit on the board for Women in Music, and I am the vice president for the New York chapter of the Recording Academy. Great. And what, sorry, where are you? Did you mention you're in Philadelphia? Uh, I'm currently in Philadelphia because I also have a coffee business here. Uh, in my spare time, I roast coffee beans. <laughs> so brilliant. Okay. Well, we, we had a chat yesterday um, about music discovery. And then I think it was Mira who said sort of halfway through our chat, well, you know, what the hell is, maybe we should define music discovery is that was that what you said yeah yeah because it's such a broad term so it, i think like we just based on of our answers we were talking uh initially it just sounded like um contextualizing and anchoring what that definition of music discovery means what's your take on it then how would you define that term I mean, I kind of, because we see things go from A to Z um, at the end of the day, for us, it's like, we're looking at music discovery when we're looking at clients. So at the very beginning of our A&R process, then we're looking at music discovery um, all the way up until, you know, how people are consuming music and as far as like digitally, but also then in real life. So festivals and showcases and, how people are discovering music through that. And then I think it spins off into like how people are discovering music through TV or, or sings or um, I have a colleague that works with me. Her name's Stenny Kasai. Um, and she has brought to my attention um, as a wonderful Gen Z, um, the wonderful world of TikTok, which has been a, like a big player in, in what music discovery means to, to our process as a company. So Nikisha, what do you think of this term music discovery? What does it bring to your mind? I think if I sit back and think as a as a creative, want to put that hat on first, it's how do I, how am I getting my music to an audience? How am I getting my music seen by people who potentially become fans and help me grow? Um, and on the executive side, it's where am I going to find the music? How am I uh, how am I discovering artists? Like what tools am I using to help me aid along with like word of mouth, which is still pretty prevalent. Like people still send artists through different channels to get to labels. But I think it's, it's how are you reaching your audience and what tools, because there are many, are you using to grow your fan base? When I thought about this panel and stuff, I totally didn't think of anything to do with like sort of the A&R side, like how people within music find music to support and release. So I think we should talk about that. But Phil, how do you define this term music discovery? Yeah, like um, 
if, if I'm honest, I have a tendency to always be a bit insular when I'm thinking about anything. Like, how does it affect me and, and what I'm doing specifically? But for us, I immediately think of audience development. That's, that's how we look at everything here. And, and so the music discovery bit is probably broader than I'm thinking about it. I'm sort of thinking, okay, how, how, do, you, how do you develop an audience as an artist or as a label? So I'm thinking at it from that angle. And the answers that I'm thinking about for the questions around that are like, yeah, how, how, do, how do I engage an audience on the platforms that my artist makes sense on? Um, so I know I'm taking it super specific. So I'm sure the conversation will be broader than that, but that's my first go-to. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so um, what, what's going to be relevant for an artist that I'm working with? Uh, and and how they're going to grow an audience using the, whatever tools they are. I mentioned TikTok, but it might be more like playlisting on Spotify editorial support, or it might be optimizing the streaming platforms they're partnered with, or it might be Instagram. So I I, I tend to see it from quite a sort of uh, single-minded, you know, digital music um, focus. Less okay. the live side. You know, I've got the expertise there really that, that Mira would have, for example. Well, we, yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about live because we were discussing that with Mira yesterday. So, but, but this A&R side of it, which I, I hadn't thought of, like, you know, people talk about built like an artist building a team, like finding a manager or finding a label or anything like that. There is that element, I guess, that when you're starting out, you're looking to get attention and interest wherever you can. And if you do find a good label, they're going to help you reach a larger audience. So like, Mira, you sort of mentioned that right away, like, is that something you focus on? Like, like, do you have a process for how you discover things that you want to work with? Because I think it's also interesting from, for, from an artist's point of view to hear from you all about how you approach things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right in the immediacy, like I, I listen to music constantly. Like um, we're big dig, um, like we dig through crates, like we're, we're those kind of people. So. SoundCloud was definitely like a big, big tool in, in the beginning of my career, um, as well as like MySpace was a big deal back, back, way back then. I think, yeah, I, I don't know, like I, I've created playlists of people that I just like, even just tracks, and then from there we'll funnel through those playlists, and I know my colleague Senny will also like create lists with me and and um you know then what we look at afterwards is kind of like music first always and first for foremost but yeah it's it's constant like whether I'm out with friends or whether I'm at a show or at a showcase or a conference or listening to playlists or discovering through different curators for me I've I've kind of found my kind of like wheelhouse of people I look to who are creating playlists um and I'm not talking about the you know the big editorials as as great as they are I'm talking about like niche micro niche like community members that really know their cities I'm looking at their playlists and who they're listening to and what's going on in their cities to really discover like a very global platform or artists that are really emerging out. And I think from there, we kind of go through our A&R process of like exploring what their teams look like, you know, are they ready for the live space? You know, what does, how do they sound live? Um, I think there's just so many different aspects when we're signing an artist for, for the live space. And I think it's kind of like the last bit um, 
after development, I think, from, from a live standpoint. Because I, I think what's super interesting is you're basically saying that it's a very social process, learning about new music in, in what you do, because, you, you know, you listen to playlists that other people make, you know, talking to other people. So, but I want to go to Phil right away, because Phil, you were the first one to say, oh, I live in a bubble or whatever. I don't really think about that kind of stuff. So isn't, even for you, isn't music social and how you hear about new things and how you find new favorite artists? And yeah, I mean, like, I guess um, I, I'm often thinking quite practically. So, you know, as soon as I hear the way um, Mir is describing it there, like with, with playlists, for example, I think artists based in a, like I lived in Sheffield in the north of England for a while, and there was cool scenes of music there. And like the way you would manifest that on Spotify right now, create a local playlist that has local artists in it. It's called the Sheffield Underground Rock sort of vibe or whatever it's called. That's that's a way of generating, that's a way of creating a sort of a discovery platform for people who care about that sort of thing in Sheffield. And then you create a scene so that the live scene has a manifestation in, in Spotify. So that's why I'm talking about the kind of practical, slightly single-minded approach. It's like, okay, what music discovery, what can I do on this platform, Spotify, that I love? And as an indie artist, I find it a useful platform. It's got Spotify for artists. They don't have the same thing on all platforms. So I like Spotify. I'm using that. How do I start to create a sort of a platform for discovery for this, this scene? And then that scene becomes something that takes on its own energy and its own life. And then that plugs into press and so on. So I, I guess that's, that's sort of how I, I, I end up framing things. Nikisha, you run your own label and stuff now, but you also worked in a major. So you would have seen music discovery from at an A&R management label level from quite a different point of view. So what's your take on all this? Yeah, I've spent a long time working in the major. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Me personally, I still am very social. Like, uh, like I still listen to friends playlists. I still let my YouTube algorithm run and see what pops up for me. But uh at, at the major it still is very much like it, it is still based on like what people send you so your networking and your connections but there are tools that help ANRs find out what's trending um, there's something called chart metric that we use a lot there's different tools that you can use to see who's trending on TikTok so it very much is a numbers game um, but they're still mixed in there's still artist showcases that are, are few and far between I'm like it depends on what type of like ANR is looking for you. So you can have the person who wants the algorithm, who wants what's trending and who wants what's hot. There's a person who wants true artist development. So they go out and they seek like, you know, what hasn't really been discovered yet, what doesn't have a ton of views, but you see the potential. Um, and then you have the people who kind of built artists from scratch. You find the artist who has nothing, but they have the raw talent and you're there to develop them. What kind of made me transition to Navak. Um, it's actually founded by someone who's formerly at a major label, but we go into emerging markets and we uh, do writing camps in places like Armenia and Lebanon, Malawi, and we find artists there. So it's an intentional base behind it. Like you go out and you set up these writing camps looking for talent and looking for things that are kind of different. Um, so there's also that way as well, where people go out into these different markets or the, even these different cities and set up, set up like camps looking for different talent to discover. So now we sort of talked about way that works within sort of the music ecosystem, like the business part of it. 
now if we're thinking about like artists who make a record, they've got support and they want to sort of start encouraging other people to hear about it. I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing social, but then Nikisha White, you're saying this idea that you can let things come to you or you can actively go out and search them. Do you, do these same sort of frameworks apply when trying to build an artist? So the idea that we're mentioning all these platforms, but is the goal still to create word of mouth? Because that's ultimately what social is, right, Mira? What do you think? Again, it depends, like, I don't think anybody makes music to, I don't know, that's a very tough question in my opinion. I think um, word of mouth is, I think, a several prong problem. I shouldn't say problem, but like a attack, if you will. I think that people making music to specifically like fall into the word of mouth usually happens depending on who they're working with, whether it's like a certain producer or songwriter or a specific manager or a, you know, a specific agent um, where people already have that relationship with that said person. I think that's kind of where a lot of like, I guess if you want to use the lack of a better term, cosine comes through as like the word of mouth. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, so-and-so is working with so-and-so and is making really great music. You should check them out. Or, you know, they're being managed by so-and-so who has like a history of X, Y, and Z. So I think that's kind of like where my mind's up with word of mouth. But uh, a lot of in like our specific company process is like, Word of mouth is more, um, you know, so-and-so um, saw an amazing artist at a very underground venue. You should check them out. Friends of friends, friends of clients, things like that. But does that, does that word of mouth still, quote-unquote, scale when it comes to creating new, an, an audience for those artists, growing that audience? No, because scaling, I mean, at least from the live side, like scaling to me, it's more of like, okay, like you've sort of like entered the realm of like the industry and you're like in touch, you're building your team. Yeah. Now it becomes more about putting in the work, the legwork essentially to developing um, essentially a fan a day. Um, and a fan a day could be digitally, it could be a fan a day, could be IRL doing small shows, underplay showcases, like really like making sure that you're strategic in your live plays and that you're, you know, it's part of your process, part of your development, part of your campaign, and it's funneling back into whatever you're doing on the recorded side. I think it's like building the layers and the foundations one step at a time essentially okay so so phil because you do you work mostly with artists who don't have managers or have very small teams i, I work with loads of projects that are like that yeah. yeah i wouldn't say necessarily the majority but there's loads of people who are in that position now i mean that's a whole other subject the the, the struggle to find managers but yeah like what you're saying there's really interesting Mira, and i think i think going like what scaled word of mouth is basically hashtags i mean that's like the scaled version of, of word of mouth isn't it I mean, and i'm sorry and the scale whole... word it's terrible like it's cliched but it was the only one that popped in my <laughs> so i apologize i use i use it a lot that, that's quite funny i'll, I'll try and stick there a bit um <laughs> sorry yeah, so, you know the <laughs> you know word of word of mouth is sort of uh 
like artistic work we do it's interesting like girl in red there was this sort of super powerful hashtag that was that was doing did the rounds around um their first album her first album um around you know do you listen to girl in red and, and this had this huge social impact and it it, it, it sort of it was it was word of mouth like people were literally talking in the street but it then became a story and it became a hashtag in in itself but i don't want to like go off too far off topic and ramble out about for ages but it was it was very exciting and and it gave the album huge cultural importance and and relevance so there's there's sort of digital manifestations of the same that same concept of of word of mouth um but it's hugely watered down, isn't it? You know, when your mate in the pub says, go and listen to the new record by so-and-so, you go and listen to the record properly. Um, well, if you have my mates, they're good curators and I'm hopeless of discovering music for myself. But like the, yeah, so in that instance, word of mouth is, is yeah, it's hugely powerful. And, and when it's, it's a hashtag or something that, as in the, the videos popping up on your TikTok feed, you know, there is a percentage of people moving from their TikTok feed into Spotify, but it's a small percentage. Because um, I think that's uh, pretty interesting with that, this idea that there, there can be word of mouth online, but that it's actually quite watered down. I, ne I, never, I never even thought of that versus the personal recommendation, maybe that we see between who Miro was talking about, where you, you, know, you talk to people who work at different companies and they recommend things. Like Nikisha, how do you view word of mouth? Is it something, because that's certainly the way it works in and around music, but is it something that can still happen for artists trying to create an audience or does Phil, has Phil nailed it with it? It happens, but it's watered down. It happens, but it is few and far between. And it's a little watered down. I had a, I went to a show last week here in Philly for a local band. Uh, and it was like a $20 cover. I wasn't expecting much. It was um, someone that I had connected with prior in Philly and I walked in and there was literally a hundred people in the room. And that excited me because I'm like, if this person is able to bring out that many people on what random night, these are 120 people that are engaged. And then when the, the band performed, everyone knew the words, everyone was cheering. And then my initial thought was like, how do you take this 120 people and get it to 500 people? Get these 120 people to talk about you. So now you can, next venue you're doing 500, next venue you're doing 1,000. So I think word of mouth is still something that it's, it's harder to do, but if you're able to capture like a small audience, what are you doing? And this kind of flips it from like the music to the business side. Like, what are you doing to work those people down the sales funnel, for lack of a better word, to engage and be a part of your audience to help you organically grow your audience. And it's still something that's really hard to do. And you, you know, if you have like a manager or other people on your team who kind of have that, that savviness to really help you go out and like recruit these consumers, it's, it's definitely something that I think is doable. And then even more so on social media, like you, if you have a decent following, what are you doing to engage the following in a way in which they're speaking about you, which they're spreading about you, which they're helping you grow your audience organically? The marketing funnel, it's, I think there's a, it's a classic music business thing to be embarrassed about using like actual technical terms for marketing. Yeah, it's like, I, oh, I, I do marketing, but I wouldn't know what the term is for that. And so I appreciate you mentioning it. It's crazy yeah. because I didn't really think about this until I became an entre entrepreneur myself. And it's really as a, 
a creative, you have to see yourself as an entrepreneur and as a business. And so you are creating music, you are creating a product, but you also want your business to thrive. And what other, you know, business tools are you doing outside of creating the music, which is not the fun part. <laughs> no, but I, but I said, but I think like it, it leads me to what I, I, what I want to ask Mira based on what she was just previously talking about, like everybody needs a plan or a theory of what works, right? And so Mira, you mentioned this idea of one fan a day and you mentioned loads of different ways that, that you, you could achieve this. Like where did that, what's your theory behind that and sort of where did that come from? Because it sounds like it's sort of the guiding light of the way you approach things. So can you talk about sort of where that came from and why you implement things in that way? Well, because I've seen it real in real time through one of our clients, like, you know, it, it was layer after layer, you know, doing small, tiny, as like Nikisha was saying, like small shows in your local city. Um, it was making sure that you had a community rallying behind you and that that community grows, you know, as you grow. And it really does like, you know, you know, our, one of our clients was doing very tiny shows uh, pre-pandemic had just like started to like create a buzz around them as, as soon as their music started on the recorded side started to hit more and more on the live side um, making sure that these weren't like any kind of passive streams or passive listeners they were doing the legwork um, doing shows and some of them were risky you know touring is expensive it's a risky uh, endeavor, um, you know, and you have to invest in yourself, like kind of Nikisha was saying, like, you're creating a product, you're creating a business as an artist, this is mm, a brand at the end of the day, and you have to put investment in that, and live is a big investment as well, some of the recorded and some of the design and that's involved in a campaign and it needs to be looked at as an investment. And I think the other part to it is like, you know, the client that we saw grew to the point where, you know, post pandemic debuted a headline show, 26 cities, sold it out. It was legworks of us trying to achieve that moment of selling out an entire North American tour um, and it wasn't built in one day. It took several years to build each fan. And because you could see it palpably within that night on that tour where people, fans knew every lyrics. Um, they knew the lyrics. They were screaming it back. You know, they stopped, bought merch. Like you want to create super fans at the end of the day, even if it's a niche market. Like I think it's worth focusing I always say this it's better to have a hundred or a thousand super fans over a hundred million so this this one fan a day what just briefly summarize what you mean by that like in the sense that you should always be focusing on reaching people directly or focusing on one way to reach people what do you mean exactly by that fan a day is sort of like anything that you're doing whether that's the campaign whether that's the live, whether that's specifically um, outreach, social media, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever your interests are even beyond the scope of making music, that you are being authentic to yourself and that 
your authenticity reaches the people that you want to reach and kind of want to relate to. Um, and I think anything that you do should just be cognizant of building in that sort of audience development um, platform that even um, Phil was talking about, because I think there's just so much people are just like, oh, how do I reach the most and the like at max? Like, what can I do right now to do like the most that I can do to reach the maximum amount of people? And I don't think approaching it that way makes sense because it's just too much of a big pie to sort of take in one bite. I really think it's like focusing on what you um, are authentically into and what your fan base that you kind of want to appeal to um, in terms of like, and I really think it's like focusing on the niche. Okay, so Phil, like we've talked about this stuff before, I'm assuming you're going to agree with uh, Mira's approach. How do you see, like, what kind of strategies do you use from a theoretical point of view? Yeah, I think um, I think the Keisha case as well. We're all like, yeah, definitely. It's but it's like it's a really good point. The, the um, I'm a bit, I could be a bit of an analytics geek as well. So I, I and I think that that's becoming more and more um, becoming more and more interesting when you look at trying to understand. Uh, how an artist is doing you can look at the number of people they've touched like you know the number of followers there are or, or, or the number of streams someone's got or youtube plays they've had or, or hits on tiktok or what have you and every one of those data points is just completely different and like you mirror so it's so right if you've got like you know a million views on youtube that were from unique viewers that doesn't mean you've got a fan base it doesn't mean you've got an audience it doesn't mean you could sell out a show in a, in a tiny capacity venue does it it's like trying trying to understand what what yeah what what kind of fans that you've got is is absolutely crucial and and that should influence you know what you're doing to, to generate that audience so trying to generate an audience by having a viral success on on TikTok it's an option and it would be effective at doing something creating some sort of audience but the sort of audience that you create by doing a series of you know quite small gigs um in across cities in your local area where it's affordable because you're not traveling all over the world to do it um you're probably going to create a more engaged audience with the latter than you are the former we'll be right back after this break Hi, Jen from Beta here. Beta is the platform that enables sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way. Built for everyone working with music today. What sets Beta apart is that it is unrivaled in taking advantage of audio files and unique properties. What does that mean exactly? Beta reads and writes file metadata, plus it converts audio file formats and delivers fast, secure, and great sounding streaming. Create, promote, and discover with Beta made for music. Nikisha, what are you thinking about? Do you have a certain theory that you applied for building an audience when you worked in a major versus the way you do things now? Like, what's your take on that? I think uh, like both uh, Mira and Phil said, growth, small growth over time is still growth. And if anything that shows you're able to be consistent, and be a constant like you know obviously majors look for things that are hot right now what's trending so they can hop on and get market share and keep the field going but 
We also like Google Trends was a big thing that we used so we could see your growth over time and we could compare that growth to other artists in your market. So I think small increments of growth over time is, is great because it shows that you can build a fan base, you can hold a fan base, you can keep an audience. And then that just increases like the leverage, like whatever you want to do with what you're growing, like what's the leverage that you want? What's the next step you want to do with that? Do you want a better distribution deal? Do you want bigger venues? Do you want uh, a label deal? So that's that, that showing that growth over time uh, is, is like, I think, that to me, that's almost better than something that's skyrocketing right now because there are so many cases of things that have been one-offs and been extremely huge on TikTok or, uh, and they just haven't translated when you actually try to make them an artist. <laughs> All three of you are saying that slow, steady growth is good, but is that even possible in I mean, an Music example today? I have on the R&B side, I don't know yeah. if you guys are familiar with uh, Money Long, no. uh, Hours and Hours, yeah, record. She yeah. was an artist for a decade. Um, she changed her name a couple of times. And, you know, it, it took her a while to now, she's like a number one artist, Grammy nominated. Uh, but again, it's growth over time. Um, and she took that 10 years of being of developing her artistry, developing her fan base, and she had her moment. I was gonna chime in and say Jasmine Sullivan <clears throat> similarly. Yep. Like same same situation. And um I wanna say Mike Dimes. Yeah. Um Mike Dimes and Denzel Curry as well. Like Denzel Curry is probably one of the like hottest um rappers right now that's just been like he's been making music from time um and it's been like you can see it at every level like you know every venue change every growth strategy like you can see it like every single step and it's like authentically him like he hasn't changed for like x y and z or like changed his creative like everything that he does he does with intentionality and just to like lily pad off of what Nikisha said about virality, um, I think a lot of that is based because a lot of people aren't ready for it when it comes and they don't have the foundation for it. So when it does come along, it's almost like, oh, now I'm scrambling for my foundation. Mm -hmm. I'm scrambling for my team. You know, I don't know what I look like. I use this a lot, like I spice, like God bless her. Like she's amazing. But when I saw that Rolling Loud live event uh, where she performed, like, oh, I just, my heart was in my throat because mm -hmm. she was absolutely not ready for it. And you could tell. I think making sure that you are building and working on your foundation will like stand the test of time essentially because like are you looking for longevity or are you looking for like you know the popcorn moment I, I guess the question and anybody could jump in on this like I guess the question is is it even possible to like we're talking about these two things we hear about virality all the time but I always question if that's even possible to create or if it just happens and then this the slow building of a career isn't that super hard to do just because you really have to have the there's less and less patience in music now so those are the things i'm thinking about do you see what i mean whereas before people used to get a record deal and they could build it up over a couple albums but now it just it feels to me like that's impossible but i'm hearing from you all 
that that's the best way to go. So how does an artist do that? I think it's like a matter of figuring out, like, I mean, finance is a big one. Financing your endeavors is like a big one to think about. And so you have to evaluate your day-to-day, you have to evaluate your finances, see like what you can carve out. But because like video content doesn't hit like it used to hit, like YouTube just doesn't, you know, move the needle anymore. Like this is why I think TikTok is such a great tool um, is because it's like, you know, you can just use your iPhone and like, I'm very of the set mind where I'm like, the more constraints you have and the less budget you have, the more creatively you can think about how to use the tools that you have on hand to really like create something that's creatively um, authentic to what you want your music to be. So I don't think it necessarily, I think it just like forces people to think and forces people to think like in most of the creative ways. And I think having those pressures is great in the beginning. So like Phil, working with, like working at AWOL over 10 years, like, do you find that a lot of artists have been able to build up, because you all were at the forefront of, well, it's artists without a label. So this idea of building up a career over time, have you seen a lot of that? I think um, it's tricky. I, th- I feel like both things happen and have their own their own roots. Like we, I see lots of things that explode really quickly and we have to move super fast on and then that turns into something long term as well that happens i do think one of the things you know that kind of steady growth that you would see things blow up like virality that that i don't even know if that's a word but either way the viralness of 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 things (laughs) it normally sort of implies that it's on a fairly temporary sort of platform so something explodes on youtube that doesn't really mean anything necessarily long term same on tiktok because like the level of commitment from a from a fan on TikTok, like I follow stuff on TikTok because it's mildly amusing. There's no commitment there. I've not I've not gone to a show. I'm like and and like yeah. so um, I'm rambling a little bit, but like we work. I don't know a huge amount about this this project, although it's at A. Well, it's not one I'm across. But Jake, where, where the A is a V, G G V G J V K E Jake, fantastic, and he's totally awesome on TikTok. And he was, I suppose, having viral moments on TikTok where there were people engaging with him and being part of his audience because he's really funny. He's got a great game on TikTok. So that that, that was a thing. Um, but that starts to turn into genuine long-term success when you're making incredible music and you're a genuine creator. So without that longevity stuff, that's only that's when you start building an actual audience that that, that you can then tell stories to. So the viral stuff, yeah, it has its place and it's useful. It's useful in our tool and it, 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 it definitely flushes out people who can create an audience, but they're only creating one very specific type of audience. There's no assumption that they can then migrate that to a more long-term audience. That requires great artistic, you know, skill and, and someone who's got a story to tell. You know, if you go back as far as like 2010, you know, people weren't seeing really much by way of revenue from the streaming platforms and the download revenue had kind of dropped off. It was very difficult. There weren't all these platforms where you could get to know the audience and the audience could get to know you as well as there is now. So I think, although it's still very much new is is, is king a lot of the time in pop music, I think keep going back to more genre-focused things like Amir is alluding to, but also there are ways of engaging with an audience that are cheap, um genuine you can create really quite in-depth stories with with your audience now using 
Instagram stories or TikTok or YouTube shorts or, or with podcasts or, you know, I, I think there's there's so many different ways for, for, for an artist to be, yeah, developing that audience over the time. Um, even if numbers look viral, they, those aren't important. They don't trump anything, they, but they can kickstart stuff. So, yeah, I think both ways are, are happening in equal measure, probably. Nikisha, we were talking yesterday, you brought up this whole idea of like the, the artist as CEO. And then Mira was mentioning you've got to, it's, it's all about budgets, like knowing what, what, what you have and what you're doing. And how do you feel about all that kind of stuff? Like, is, is that the name of the game that you've just got to find a way to build what you believe in till it breaks? I think so. Much like if you're an artist, that's your career. Um, and in order to keep your career moving forward, you have to find ways to sustain yourself until you find a partner or if looking for a partner is what you do or, or until you're making enough income um, to where maybe you don't have to worry about the finance, you know, that side of it so much. But I think you have to see yourself as a CEO and know that you have to invest in yourself before anyone else else will. They're going to want to see you investing in yourself and what have you done to move your career along outside of the music. Um, I do think that most times you kind of see like the Cinderella story. We see somebody blow up and they get signed, but there are just, you know, as many people who are not blowing up and who are coming through more traditional routes whose deals might not be as big or they might be, you know, going the distribution route or they still might be releasing music on their own. But there are still artists who work for, for years before they see any real success. And I think that's one thing that you kind of have to like, be real about with yourself as a creative is that it will take time and in that time you have to figure out how to support yourself until your music is discovered in, in the manner that which you want it to be discovered hi jen from beta here sorry to interrupt i wanted to let you know that each of these podcasts features different guests each conversation offers up another perspective from within the music ecosystem like Mark's talk with Adam Ryan, head of music at the Great Escape Festival. We don't talk to enough people involved in booking music festivals or booking agents that set up tours for artists. So this podcast was special. A lot of great insight into how the business of getting booked into one of the most important music festivals in Europe actually happens. Go listen to that episode, then rent a van and start touring. We do need to discuss the elephant in the room, which is the fact that there's so many tech platforms and so many ways to get your music out to people. But why don't we come at it this way? How, you know, there are all these platforms and there's a possibility to make money. Is there not through YouTube or through, I, I guess you don't make money on TikTok or whatever. So Nikisha, I want to ask you about that. Like, do artists need to be looking at all these platforms to make sure they're getting paid or should they be looking at these platforms as channels to get to grow the audience like how because we're talking about how artists need to grow they need to become more popular but they also need to keep track of where they're at financially so how do you see that interaction i think um first you need to use the different platforms for growth and to find your outlet your audience and to establish who your audience is personally i think i'm just somebody who I'm like, try everything to see what works for you and works for your music and works for your creativity and where are your fans most engaged? Where do you, what platforms do you see them 
thing most involved in and put your resources into that uh, and realize that you probably, you're not going to make money right away from music. I think that's the most important thing is realizing that you're going to need probably other avenues of support while you grow your audience, and while you work to be able to get yourself into a place where you are being able to generate revenue from the different platforms. It's like an investment in, in yourself, like for the first probably couple of years, which I think people know, but then they don't really know. They're like, why aren't I making money? I'm putting out music, but you have to invest in yourself just as a label would, just as any other partner would. Like you gotta put that initial investment in yourself. Like, so Mira, how do you, what do you advise new, say new artists that you're really starting with? Like, how do they find the money to do anything if they're not getting paid from all these different, you know, say marketing channels? And then they're not making much money off of streaming. Like, how do you help them build that up? Do you have any sort of tips? I, I like, I, I think I was saying this before. It's like, you really need to look and assess what you have for what you're doing. Like, I definitely don't recommend like, you know, like leave your day job and just go ham in without, you know, any kind of plan. Um, but I really do think that creating, like pushing your mindset to sort of really thinking outside the box um, and really using the people um, and the tools that are around you to see what's possible. I always feel like that's like one of the school challenges um, where it's like, you know, we give you a straw, pair of scissors, a toothpick, see what you can build and like, <laughs> you know, start from there. As, as funny as it sounds, it's like, it's the best way to sort of push your mind creatively. I think people are very lazy these days. I'm going to be very blunt. I think musicians expect the, the sort of like streaming platforms and the, you know, the big looks. And I'm like, I would not even focus and go there because honestly, like, it's not going to pour anything into what you have as like, from the get-go like it helps certainly like Phil was saying like virality helps um but if you don't know who you are you don't know what your narrative is you don't know you know what you're trying to communicate to your niche audience like it's really like difficult for people to invest their time like in what you're creating so I really think there's some key like like non-financial burdensome things that you can focus on and that's mainly like why am I creating music what's my narrative you know who are my audience and like what am I authentically trying to say and why should people care um and I think focusing on things like that and then trying to create within um the within your means essentially like create within your means so if that means you know your means is small then create you know, small, if you, your means are high, then create high. But I don't think, again, like YouTube videos don't hit like they do. So like short videos are easy to create. Everybody has a phone. iPhones have like exponentially like become great tools, period, because they have, you know, HQ, 4K, like definition. Like it's not hard to sort of like explore the tools that are at your fingertips. So Phil, yeah, were you going to jump in? To, yeah, sorry, go. Yeah, go, I wanted go. to jump in. You, I mean, I think that's great merch suggestion there, Mir. I think toothpick, uh, artist branded toothpicks is the way forward. Um, <laughs> but, 
for like you know there's loads of options for like first of all the stream the streaming revenue is potentially huge i mean if you've got if you've got a decent audience um you know and it's coming in month in month out you can rely on it it can fund your project so i think it's not it's not to be scoffed at developing an audience on spotify is hugely important we work with loads of artists who maybe quickly or maybe slowly have generated long-term followers on spotify who are waiting for their tracks and when release start, release radar announces the next track in or or release radar includes their, their next track people listen to it save it and then listen to it in perpetuity so it's a huge part of it and i think yeah people getting creative about how they monetize whichever platforms it is works for them so like i've talked a bit about tiktok because i like watching tiktok so i, I get it you know and, and other people it will be you know different um servers or it will be a patreon page or it will be that they've connected with their fans through their instagram channel because they're like they're into fashion and they've got great visual imagery like if that's the example say it's instagram and and you know there's some crossover with fashion there then you need to be look at, at getting a decent partnerships with local independent fashion retailers and doing a gig in their store and you need to be finding ways of creating your own fashion and selling it as much or whatever it is like Find the platforms that make sense for you that you care about and love as an artist. That's where your audience also is. And that's by necessity. That's why you love it there. They love it there too. And so you find ways of monetizing these things. So the way you're talking about it, Nikisha, which I, I love is encouraging people to see it as a, an entrepreneurial pursuit. It's a huge ask. You know, it's why I feel for artists and connecting them with artist managers or a bigger team, I just think is so important because I think what we ask them to be great at writing a chorus, great at recording the music and also be a business person as well. It's a huge ask. Um, but yeah, you've got to try and get into that mindset uh, and, and find ways of making that something you're also as passionate about as writing music if possible. Um, but, you know, we're saying all of this. I always want to make a little nod when we start talking about shitloads of platforms and encouraging people to make the most of them. They've got to look after themselves and like trying to be killing it on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube shorts while also writing a blog and recording the music while you've got a job. It's ludicrous. It's not possible. And um, so definitely one to shout out. You need to be realistic and, and pick a couple of channels that really work for you unless you've got a big team and you can be more ambitious. I, I just want to lily pad and clarify, like, I think um, reusing content is like a really great way to do that. I think like reposting and reusing just to like have like, you know, a blanket uh, process. I think you don't have to create like specific, like most of the tools are pretty like standard now. So you can create like whatever you do for TikTok can like absolutely go into YouTube shorts or it can go to IG reels or IG story or like you don't have to like create multiple content to sort of like, you know, keep your um, I think like the well-being part of like uh, Phil's point is so important and, you know, you don't want to drain or over exhaust yourself. I'm very curious to hear Phil's thoughts on this, but I feel like uh, um, streaming is great. And I'm like, I'm thinking about it from like an artist who's just, just starting for the very first time and doesn't necessarily have the the DSP listenership that, that they would want. Um, so I'm like a little bit of the mind of like, you know, Spotify, um, the, uh, Amazon, Apple, like they're great, but it depends like at what, like what stage in development you are. Um, so I'm just curious, like, 
Phil, do you like, like, what is it like from the like very beginning? Like, let's say nothing, like scratch, scratch. Like, how do those, how do those streaming platforms help or not help? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating discussion. It, it varies so much from person to person. But like, if you talk to somebody who's literally got no followers at all on Spotify to start with, then you know, I I think using tools like Submit Hub. Or, or reaching out to third parties um, curators of playlists the sort you were talking about early on like great genre playlists trying to build a relationship with people like that i think is really powerful because it's a genuine thing they care about the sort of music you make so you can build an actual relationship with them so mm -hmm. i think that's a really good way in but yeah mm -hmm. it's off-platform stuff if there's nothing there to start with the spotify playlist submission tool is great i don't have much knowledge actually of how effective the amazon one is but they've launched one so kudos to them i think it's a really important leveler for the industry um so they're really impactful but yeah playlist is is by far the quickest way of developing an audience and the genre playlists kick ass when compared to new music playlists which is not where you know lovers of grime are not hanging out on new music friday waiting for the next favorite tune um so yeah i think that that, that that's where we start uh, Nikisha, do you want to maybe ask some uh, add some last words on this stuff? We didn't even get to talk about any of the Web3 stuff you're doing. Uh, just to add to what Phil said, the genre playlist and then making sure that you're giving yourself time when you're delivering, delivering your music, like giving people enough time to listen. Like not necessarily like making like sure you're delivering four or five weeks out so you can hit people follow with them, give them time to give you feedback, give them time to get through everything else they have to do. But time, even though it doesn't feel like it's on your side, it's the biggest thing as a developing artist that you should make use of, just giving yourself enough time. Um, and I would say music, it depends on the type of artist that you are, the type of career that you wanna have is really indica like, indicates where you're going to put your music out, where you're going to find your fan base. It's not a cookie cutter situation at all, I don't think for artists, it's really, once you figure out who your audience is, what they listen to or how they operate, that really determines how you're going to put out music and how you're going to continue to grow. Perfect. So Phil, last words before you go. Any, any last things you want to impart? Uh, no, not really. I think everyone should try and take a bit of a break over Christmas. Like it's an, it's an, intense, it's an intense industry. So make sure uh, while, while loads of people in industry down tools take the opportunity to quickly relax for a little bit. Okay, perfect. Mira, final uh, word from you, and then we'll uh, say goodbye to you. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with Phil on that one. Like, I think 2022 has been like probably one of the most burnout years for a lot of people. So I'm hoping and looking forward and just wanting to you know chill out and relax and you know take care of like the people around me. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks so much. It was brilliant to talk. Um, and everybody, I guess the key piece of advice before we go is take a break. <laughs> so we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks for coming. Thanks, sure. everyone. Bye, everyone. All right, cool. Bye. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Mark again. Thanks for listening. I want to thank our guests from today's conversation. Mira Silver from Fort Management. Nikisha Bailey, GM at the Novak Collective record label, and Phil Lautsis, VP of Community at AWOL. 
Plus, thanks to Jamie Ford from Beta, who makes sure every conversation goes off without a hitch, as well as Colin McKenzie, our podcast producer and editor. Music is by Finn Productions and Oliver Liu. The How We Listen Live In Conversation podcasts are brought to you by Beta.com. Beta enables the sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way, built for everyone working with music today. Each month, I speak with someone new who works in and around the music ecosystem. The live online series takes place on the last Tuesday of every month, is free to sign up and attend. Come and get in on the conversation. Go to beta.com for more information. Thanks for listening and get in touch with any questions. Thank you.